my name is Damon Incredulous Listener Ware. And this is Kevin. Hasn't had to write a research paper book report in like six years. Schneider. <laughs> <laughs> and this is a black and white review. Nothing makes it better than vanilla and chocolate. And since you're black and I'm white, that makes it more special for the audience. Did you say black? You called him black. So one of the other reasons we wanted to talk about Superman 3 is because I wanted to tell Damon a certain story that I think is a pretty interesting piece of history that relates to this podcast. That back in the 1940s, Superman actually fought the KKK. Real life, kind of. So how I'm going to do this is I'm going to start by telling you a little quick origin of Superman, and then we're going to get into basically the origin of the Ku Klux Klan and how one day they collided. All right. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So first, we'll start with the beginnings of Superman. So he's, so he was created by the sons of Jewish immigrants, and they're both from Cleveland, uh, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Um, he first appeared kind of, sort of, like as an early incarnation of Superman was in a science fiction. It was in the third edition of the, of science fiction called The Reign of the Superman, where a bald man scientist was seeking to become an evil genius and take over the world by using meteorite substances. Uh, the story plays off the um, like the fact that it's the Great Depression mm-hmm. uh, at the time when this came out. Scarce resources, all, yeah. all, all, all that stuff, all yeah. the tropes so, of that. So what it is is that the professor, evil Professor Smalley, Smalley <laughs> he um, so he's trying to use homeless people. So what that villain is trying to do, he's trying to use homeless people as uh, guinea pigs for his evil experiments. Ooh. And the little quote from the story is like, with contentious sneer on his face, Professor Smiley watched the wretched unfortunates file past him. To him, who had come to rich parents and had never been forced to face the rigors of life, the miserableness of these men seemed deserved. Uh, the story was was well received at the time, but it didn't really do anything big for Siegel or mm-hmm. Schuster. Uh, so this was, again, this was a very early idea for what Superman could be. Mm-hmm. Um so apparently, that's, that's that's pretty cool that like even with even with like uh, just the the villains little like lines of dialogue, you can kind of show the Great Depression where it's yeah. like you have like this disparity between like the rich and the poor, and his portrayal of like well they deserve being like this. <laughs> like Jesus Christ, man! Like that, that's wild. It's so cool. Yeah, so according to comics lore, according to comics lore, uh, the idea for Superman, the, the the real idea for Superman just kind of struck Siegel. Uh, Siegel was the writer, and Schuster was the artist. Okay. Um, that he realized that the world doesn't need an evil Superman. We need a good one. And he kind of draws a little bit of hope from FDR with the idea of the New Deal kind of just bringing hope to people and inspiration. Because I don't know if you know that FDR would have um, these fireside chats where he would directly speak to Americans. I've heard that phrase, fireside chats, yeah. from FDR, but I wasn't sure what they, what he talked about in, in those chats or what like the, the subject matter. He was just trying to like, just make the country morale. feel better and like, build morale. And it's, you're hearing directly, you're hearing the President of the United States on radio. Yeah. TV doesn't exist yet. This is holy crap. This is all we have and the President's talking to us. Big deal. And trying to help. So like, they kind of draw inspiration from that. And they also draw inspiration from the, um, they both have a lot of love for science fiction and old mythology. Um, they also, the fact that they have came from Jewish backgrounds also influences the character. Um, the idea of, oh no, what? Shadakan? Shadakan. Sadakan, oh no. Let me, let me see. How, Damn how it, I... your wife told me how to pronounce this and I don't remember what it was. Sedaka. Sedaka? Yeah, Sedaka. 
Okay, Seneca. <clears throat> a slight correction. The correct pronunciation is Sadaka. Sadaka. Now back to your scheduled program. Um, it's this idea of Jew- it's a Jewish, Jewish wife. It's a Jewish um term. I don't yeah, know term. What it would be yeah. Hebrew. Uh, it's Phrase. A, it's the idea of to serving the less fortunate and stand up uh, for the weak and the exploited. Oh, yeah. Damn. So it's a neat little thing they put in there. Also, that yeah. idea of just helping the less fortunate. I feel you. If you have the means to help others, you should do so. Yeah. Uh, also, one thing I always never really like about Super, like the way Superman's treated in the media now, is we always really want to make him into Jesus for some reason. There's always a lot of visual metaphor in Superman movies of him being Jesus, which I don't really like personally. Very, very, it, no, you are it's, right. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a very common trope. It seems weird because, first, not every. I feel like making someone Jesus happens all the time, and not every character needs to be Jesus. Also, the fact that his creators were two Jewish men, it seems kind of, I don't know, not insulting, but it's like... You don't know, you don't know the origins of the, his character. That, look, that probably wasn't their intention, and I don't think it was, because I think a lot of Superman, he's more like Moses. I mean, he's put into the basket or spaceship because his parents because the parents are about to be killed and the baby would also die so they send him down the Nile River of the space space river where they're adopt where he's adopted by the pharaoh's daughter or the Kents mm-hmm. so i think it's a little more like Moses and also the idea of Moses you know Moses does performs a lot of miraculous things in his story but he doesn't do it himself he draws it from the power of god he's the vessel through god kind of like how superman draws his powers from the sun and to be fair like the sun's been worshipped as like a deity for like you know god knows how many how, how many like centuries and civilizations yeah. so that does that, 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 that does fit with the matter and a lot of idea for superman stems from like i have these great powers so i have to use them to do as much as i can for others because it'd be selfish to me not to do so like i've read comics where he feels guilty that he's like i help people but i could have done more like that's kind of how superman's mentality usually is mm-hmm. uh another idea of the, the superman from jewish mythology would be the tale of Rabbi Marala of Prague, where he created his Ooh, own. Ooh, that's super, a fun name. Where he created his own Superman in the idea of the golem. Oh, uh, to, uh, the Jewish to, golem. The Jewish golem to protect uh, Jewish people in the ghetto from hostile Christians. My wife always tells me she's like, if you don't do the dishes fast enough, I'll get a golem on you. <laughs> like, well, you don't know that magic lore. That's, that's long past your time. <laughs> Uh, also, later when Superman was eventually does become published, there's there's often times of calling him like a real life Samson with his strength. Mm-hmm. So I just think there's a lot of just there's a lot of Hebrew principles that Superman comes from. I, I think the point you're trying to say is like there's just better there's better um there but there there not better, everyone needs to be Jesus. Yes, yes, yes. And also you to... you deify Superman to a point where it's like oh he's so good because he's Jesus. Like no he's not. He's just some guy from Kansas doing the right thing. There are better par- I was with the word parallels. There, yeah. are, there are parallels in Jesus when you're talking about Superman. Yes. Yeah. And also agree. you're putting Superman on such a pedestal where it's he's not. You're taking away what makes him great, that he can inspire anyone to be Superman. Like, you shouldn't just wait for Superman to show up. Like, Superman shows you that there's the potential for good in all of us if you can just be good. Yeah, you just have to try. And that's he's just what, a good guy from Kansas trying to do the right thing. And that's why he's never, like, satisfied. He's like, I can always just try. There's always, always so much, do more. There's so much more good to do. Like, Superman, please! <laughs> You're so fast. You deserve a break! <laughs> How can I have a break when all those people that are less fortunate than me don't get breaks? Like, Jesus, whatever, Clark. <laughs> I don't know. What, just take a compliment, man. All right, so Siegel and Schuster, um, they're, they're working for small publishers in Cleveland. They're not really hitting the mainstream yet. Uh, they're mostly writing stories kind of about, like, FBI agents. Two hard-working Jews. So, like, hold heart, like kind of like Pulp V. Noir kind of stories. Because um, they really want to save Superman for, like, a big publishing company. But they'd only received rejection letters from, like, every executive that they sent it to. 
Um, a lot of them stated that they just thought an all-powerful being from another planet dressed in tights serving the public good was too ridiculous for adult readers. Um, apparently, the editor of United Features at the time summed up Superman as a rather immature piece of work. Mm. Which I think is kind of funny that even back in the 1930s, people still were rejected Superman of like, what? He has all this power and he's good? That's not realistic. Bullshit. <laughs> and I think it's funny because that's people, I've heard people make the argument that Superman doesn't work today because he's so hokey and he's so good. But I argue that he's always been that way and that's what makes him so great. I mean, that was the, I feel it like. It doesn't matter how cynical we are, he's still going to be good and do the right thing. That seems to be the point of like what the creators want from him anyway. It's like, we're yeah. going to inspire, we're going to inspire good like all the time because the world, mind you, it's like the Great Depression, World War II is like, you know, the yeah. build, building up to that as, yeah, as, as yeah. well so why would you not want especially when you talk about this, the term superpower like that that was becoming a big thing in that era anyway too so no wonder people were so fucking cynical like wait you mean when one man has the power of a whole nation and but he can do he can also fly he's gonna, he's gonna save cats ah uh, ah uh, uh, Damon 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 oh leaps you're right you're right he's not even exist yet so he can't fly he I, only can leap tall buildings in a single bound he exists in a twinkle in their eye yeah <laughs> alright so we're here baby after years of trying to make it in the comics industry Superman finally premieres in 1938's first issue of Action Comics by DC. Superman is a huge success, but also by by getting him published, Siegel and Schuster, they sell the copyright to Harry Donfeld for $130. So that's $10 each for 13 pages of Action Comics number one. Wow. And, you know, because artists don't typically do well when this happens. And Siegel and Schuster, you know, they did well for themselves at the time, but they could have made so much more because now Superman exists, and as time goes on, he just becomes more popular. He's on lunchboxes, he's on toys, he's getting radio shows, he's getting TV shows, he's getting TV movies. He's It's Superman. It's yeah. Superman. Yeah, there's so no, they're selling yeah. the crap out of it, and they're making money, but they could be doing way better. And they're not. Oh, well. Yeah. Read the, the contract. Well. Read the contract. Yeah, so Superman's blowing up, doing great things. And, you know, a lot of things go out well for Superman. But now we're going to have to go back in time even further. Ooh, further. To the origins of the Ku Klux Klan. Oh, that does make sense. We had to figure out how Superman, like, actually got to fighting the Ku Klux yes. Klan. We must so, know thy enemy. We should talk about the Klan. So the, here it is, Damon. The year is 1866. Ooh. The Civil War is over. I just got rights. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Civil War is over, and... Uh, you know, the South's really pissed that they lost, because of course they are. Hell yeah. And uh, a lot of Confederate officers kind of decide that they want to form their own social society. They want to form, like, a kind of fraternity, because, you know, it's a means of just, they live in a small town, there's not much to do. Let's blow it sucks steam. out. So they're like, let's form our own club. So someone's, while they're trying to think of names for their club, someone throws out the Greek word uh, kuklos, which actually means circle or band. And then they add the word clan, and then they decide to, because um, kuklos is spelled with a K. So they decided to add a little more alliteration to it to make the Klan spell with also with a K, and they decided to call it the Ku Klux Klan. So All right. Based off of Ku Klux Klan? Yeah. Was the initial Greek yeah, phrase? Yeah, it's a Greek phrase, Ku Klux, which means circle or band. Mm, okay. And to add a little more mystery to the organization, they all decide that they're going to wear um, robes, perform rituals, and use code words and swear everyone to secrecy while they're in their new club. Nerds! <laughs> all right, so officers of the organization gave themselves titles drawn from mythology, or they just made them up. Oh, those are that very that's, mysterious. That's hardcore nerd shit. Yeah. So <laughs> the chief officer is the Grand Cyclops. His assistant is the Grand Magi. 
which I think is hilarious because these guys. Yeah, what? That's, like a, <laughs> what that's kind of a Jewish Jew term. That's, I, that's what I thought. So I think that's kind of hilarious <laughs> that they don't like Jews. But okay, <laughs> great. whatever. Good job. And then, so Already doing great, clan. And everyone that's just kind of like a regular person in the clan, they're called ghouls. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, ghouls. <laughs> so 1867. The organization begins to kind of grow beyond the control of the founders. And so they hold a secret convention in Nashville to decide to elect a leader. They're like, we need to, like, figure out what we're about. Because, like, we were just kind of being, like, a secret club of, like, we don't like the North. And we're just going to try to do something. Yeah. So they have to elect a leader. They need to draft a constitution. So I guess clubs need constitutions. And then figure out what they're going to be doing as an organization. So a former Confederate general by the name of Nathan Bedford Forrest is elected the Grand Wizard or Supreme Leader of the Ku Klux Klan. The new formed Invisible Empire, which is kind of how they refer to it. And I put that in quotes because it's like, screw you guys. Yeah. Um, they're divided into basically by states. Like, that's kind of how the chapters will be. Okay. So they do it in by... the Invisible st- Empire. <laughs> so they do it by state. And they also kind of do it by the congressional districts, too. Oh. Yeah. So they also have... And then there's dens that kind of serve as the, the chapters. Like, with the fraternity. They, like, they draw a lot of their inspiration from, um, like, the... Uh, what are they called? Like stonemasons and other fraternities. Because like oh, the, free, the Freemasons. fraternities were, were starting to get big at colleges now. So they're like, oh, okay. we can have our own. Oh, yeah. So they, they, ba- they, basically, they basically just say, we're going to take like all the parts that make sense for the organization and just yeah. go through the invisible yeah. empire. All right. So the clans, their constitution claimed allegiance to the U.S. government. But they asserted that the power to interpret and enforce the law, they, but they, yeah, that they could interpret the law. Yeah. But they're about the government. So it's basically nothing. It's like mm-hmm. we decide what it is. We but, are. But we, we're going to make lords, ourselves. We're the lords of the earth. We're the deciders of law and order. Yeah. Okay. I mean, and, and so they, they just choose to interpret the United States law however they see fit. Yay, white supremacy as well. <laughs> All right. So jump ahead to another year. The year is 1868. And the Reconstruction Act is created so the federal government can help repair all the damages caused by the Civil War in the South. So by that. Um, it's mandated northern military occupation, which no one ever likes. It's always no one wants soldiers in their town. Occupa- sure. Yeah, occupation always denotes like yeah. bad stuff. I mean, it's what isn't that the Third Amendment? Is that soldiers can't have like, they can't force lodging? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe so. From how like terrifying it was, yeah. to just like just have someone be like, "Hey, I have a gun. You have food. You know, you know, you know what's up." <laughs> there are more of us. Do I need to say? Do I need to say any more? Yeah. So. Get the food. <laughs> so the military is there to make sure to, to, to help fix things, to cause damages, but they're also there to make sure that the newly freed slaves were free and were not forced to continue working. So of course the KKK does not like this. No, uh, the KKK positions themselves on the front line against northern aggression. Um, those who oppose this reconstruction. Um, my favorite phrase, by the way, like the so the, so they can so they they were calling it the like northern aggression like back then too. That's one of my favorite things when I hear people trying to redo history and they call okay. it, call the Civil War the War of so Northern those, Aggression. So those who opposed the Reconstruction of the from the north and from the northern intruders were dubbed carpetbaggers. I've heard that phrase before. So have I. I didn't. So so, so why are they called carpetbaggers? Actually, I'm not sure. Okay, no, it's fine because like I, I always because the, the, sure. the connotation I always got was like always negative, but I, yeah. I always thought maybe like cheap or 
Like, I don't know, like scabs. I thought it was like a working situation where it was like, you cut the bag. It's, it's the northern people that are here to help. We don't like them. They're carpetbaggers. Assholes. And then the, the southerners that supported them were called scallywags. And, uh, oh, they're just cute. And, uh, <laughs> they just, I mean, this is kind of goes without saying, but they referred to the African Americans as inferior. But it means the Klan. Is that really that surprising? Yeah, of no, that's what they yeah, to them as. yeah, duh. Uh, the Klan uh, vowed to resist what they saw as an unfair trampling of their rights. The Klan basically became their own privatized army at this point. Militia! Um, old soldiers of the Klan be- um, became terrorists, attacking all who opposed them, uh, wearing the hoods and the robes, and they had rifles and whips. So they were doing things along the lines of uh, white teachers that were educating blacks were beaten while their schools were burned to the ground. Oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, freed slaves were dragged from their homes and beaten in front of their children. Uh, black men who were char- who were charged with crimes, but you know they were just kind of in jail for whatever they did. Yeah, they were broken out of jail and they that link that lynch mob. Yep, as soon as you said like minor crimes, yeah. I was like, family feud, show me lynch mob. <laughs> and then they also some people in the area were also tarred and feathered. That they, yeah, that they saw who opposed them. Oh, uh, dude, tar and feathering is like they make fun of it in, ca- ca- in uh, cartoons and other it's media. It's a, br- it's a it's a br- it's a brutal. Burning hot tar. It's brutal. It's not not good. You're gonna be horribly scarred for the, life. for the rest of your life. And even if you you can get like, and also people would die from tar feathering because yeah. if you don't get a tar off in time, you can't sweat, and so they would just kind of like just cook. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, close up your pores. Look, liquid hot tar, guys, not fun for you. So some newspapers in the South actually referred to these raids as acts of self-defense on behalf of the entire white race. Sounds about right. Of course it was. <laughs> uh, by, by 1870, newspapers across the country were denouncing the violence and they were demanding that action be taken, that these guys be stopped. Um, prominent clan members began to drop out of the organization while the ghouls were wearing robes to just commit crimes in general. They were doing things from armed robbery to stealing chickens. <laughs> um, they tried to prioritize the black chickens. <laughs> so out of fear of being prosecuted against Forrest, who's the current Grand Wizard? Oh, that's who, For- so that's who Forrest, was, Forrest Gump was named after? Yeah. Oh, yep. I remember that. He's the founder of the clan. Oh. Well, not the founder. He's the he's just the Na- first president. Na- first main guy. Yeah. Nathan Bedford Forrest. He was the Grand Wizard of the clan at the time. So he uh, he basically declares that everything that's happening right now is a perverted um, per- perversion of what the clan was supposed to be. And uh, he orders all the followers to stop doing what they're doing, but also orders people to just destroy records of the clan. Uh, most people didn't listen to him. I was like minutes of the meetings and stuff. I mean, like, there's any, He's like, any, we're any... done. He's like, clan's done. I'm done with the clan. Uh, destroy everything. But also, it, it seems like he was mostly doing it just to cover his own ass. Oh, yeah. Because, because people it, were trying to press legal charges. He's like, oh, I'm done. Yeah. Nope, I'm out. Yeah. So he's like, I'm done. Everyone stop. But like, people didn't listen to him. Of course not. Get to, they want to keep... Get a taste of, get taste of power, power and... All that power and violence. Yeah. Oh, my God. So... Drunk off of it. So now Congress launches a, launches a massive investigation. Uh, they're f- filling 11 volumes with four years of evidence of floggings, beatings, burnings, shootings, hangings, and torture. In 1872, Congress passed a law allowing Klansmen to be tried in federal court. Nice. By the mid 1880s, the Klan was mostly gone. There wasn't there wasn't much of Klan. Uh, the Reconstruction in the South was largely abandoned due to all this backlash and all this horribleness that was happening. Yep. Um, this led this. They basically they were thanks, like the th- South. Th- thanks to knowing whites. So the South can just deal with their own problems. Is pretty much what they decided. Um, white ruling class in a lot of parts of the South just regained power, and a lot of black people were continued to be denied rights such as voting, and some of them were forced into servitude. Yeah. 
kind of showing how slavery doesn't just end because Mr. Lincoln says you're free. Yeah, and that's and honestly, all of that still even talks like all everything you're saying just shows why there was a great. They call it the Great Migration. Like people started leaving the South yeah. because it's like why yes, are we exactly. why, why why are we going to continue to be fucking beat up, murdered, dragged out of our homes because like someone the, else does something for us? Like let's just leave. We're yeah, literally gonna the, leave. The people who came to help us were basically forced out. Bye. So <laughs> no, we, bye. So we have no one to help us. We don't have any help from the government. Yeah. So we need to just leave. Yeah. Which makes sense. Yeah. That's happened before. All, all the black people just leave a town one day because something happens. Well, we were kind of talking about with in Green Book with the Sundown Town. Yeah. It's like there are so many different reasons why black people just pack up and pack up and leave, but yeah. it happens quite a bit. Yeah, so, <laughs> so apparently a lot of historians, like they, a lot of them gloss over all the stuff that happened. And of course, people that were like Southern novelists, they romanticized what would happen. They treated the Klan as valiant heroes protecting whites from Northern oppression Woo! and black rule. <laughs> all right. So now some time goes by, and now we're jumping ahead to... What year is this? The year. People are still probably racist. I would assume before 1920. Okay. So it's it's 19... Let's say it's the early 1900s. It's a little before 1915. Oh, I was right. So it's a little before 1915. I don't have the exact date, but some shit's about to go down in 1915, shortly after this. So a man named William J. Simmons, who is the, a son of a Civil War veteran and someone who was also a um, Reconstructionist opponent, he's working as a salesman in a college lecture in Atlanta, Georgia. And he's working promoting like fraternities, like the Elks and the Shrines and the Masons. Mm-hmm. And that's what he's doing as a job. Heavy hitters. And he sees that there's money in this. There's mm-hmm. money in fraternities. He's like, okay. He's like, what if I had my own fraternity? They're seeing on his business. And he's like, I know. I'll bring the Ku Klux Klan back. <laughs> yeah. So, Light bulb moment. So Simmons tracks down the Klan, which is basically the Ku Klux Klan. And, and the Quran or the, something? The Klan. The Klan. The, the book I bought you. Oh, yeah. The Klan. Yeah. It's basically a 50-page um, pledge manual on how to be a Klan member. So what he did was he found one of the copies of it, and then he kind of embellishes some details about the Klan. He redesigns some logos. He, he makes the robe look a little more menacing, uh, I guess, to make – I don't know, because he's – I don't know. He's trying to sell it Make as more like, spooky, and mysterious. Well, that's the thing. It's like he's he's trying to appeal to like he knows his audience. So whatever at the time he thought that was going to be was going to sell the, the new revamped clan. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I love I love from a salesman perspective. I love the marketing. He's like, no, we got to make this sexier. That's what he's doing. <laughs> so Simmons uh, he rewords the membership oath a little bit. He um, changes like the ceremonies around. Uh, he comes up with like different hand signals that mean things. Oh, and code words. Oh, these dudes are going to fucking go ham with um, these hand he come, signals. He, he brings back a lot of the old titles and he even creates some new ones uh simmons even creates a a language to help greater emphasize the k sound so they make like their meeting place is called the clavern uh it's like it's like really shitty larping so he <laughs> calls the, we're going the clavern <laughs> it gets dumber all right so, so the, their conventions that they'll have they're going to called clon Vocation, Clon the Clan vocation, <laughs> and the art of being a clansman is called clancraft. <laughs> All right. So, David, you wanna... you're right. It got dumber so quick. So like, guys, I get you want to have secret code words in your secret, super awesome racist fraternity. Not everything needs to be alliteration with a KL. You yeah, come up with something else. Like, chill, guys. Like, Jesus Christ. So, this is awesome. New, so, this new clan would charge $10 for membership. Oh, damn. 19, bucks for... 1915, $10? Holy shit. Yeah, probably a little before 1950. Okay, okay a little, little before. But, like, then, but still. Damn. Yeah, so, 
10 bucks for membership, and then $6 for a robe and a hood. And they even offered life insurance policies. Oh, damn, the hookup. Like, you know, one-stop clan shop. Uh, He also borrowed a lot of notes from the the pro-clan novel The Klansman. And he, um, which that story is like one of the authors that would have romanticized the clan. Oh, back, for, oh, back in like the 1800s. So that's what he was taking from when you were he talking took about some the notes original. From that too, okay, cool. With this idea of this romanticized clan, and he okay. took some notes from that, which had that book has the idea of the burning cross, which mm-hmm. had not been a part of the clan yet, and he puts that into like the symbol of the clan, the burning cross. Um, he gets a lot of, um, he convinces a lot of influential men to serve in his upper ranks, and he even copyrights the. Um, the things that he changes to the Klan, and he gets an official charger from charter. He gets an official charter from the state of Georgia to be an organization because the Klan's like a nonprofit. Oh damn! So he actually like he got so they're official. considered like a charity organization at this point in time. Really, really, damn. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the new Invisible Empire. They love using that invisible empire. empire. They love that invisible empire. Yes. Um, of the Ku Klux Klan was established as a benevolent nonprofit fraternity organization. Okay. Um, initially, it was intended selling as a, it. It was initially intended as a group that would unite white Protestant men. Then it was really attacking enemies. Again, like now they're like they're they're not quite that. This version of the Klan's not quite that hateful, but it is still the Klan. Yeah. So like they're because like, they're, they're more about like I think at this point in time the Klan's more about like it's not about disliking others as much as about like white Protestants are awesome. Am I right? Oh, so the, women should stick to normal gender roles. And so like, at, that's at, what they're about. At this at this point in the Klan's like timeline. they're not really a hate group. They're more of like this is the way things should be and this is how we feel mm. and we're probably gonna be annoying and ghoulish about it. Fair enough. But they haven't gone. They haven't devolved yet. Like, back this is, to, like, yeah. This isn't a devolved Klan. Yet. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so they um their their point is well I mean yeah like I said they're they're mostly about just white Protestant men are the best they're not quite about attacking other people yet yeah so on Thanksgiving Eve of 1915 Simmons and his newly formed clan they meet at Piedmont the Piedmont Hotel in Atlanta uh, the members all hopped on a bus to Stone Mountain which was like a huge mountain with like a huge slab of granite that's like 800 feet tall because it looks really cool and ominous. And uh, the men, they, they build an altar, and they drape it with an American flag with a Bible, a canteen of baptismal water, and a sword. <laughs> uh, the men even erect a wooden cross and cover it in kerosene and light it on fire. Now Simmons just needed a way to promote his new club. Enter the birth of a nation. Oh, I know that movie. So that movie is coming out, and Simmons is aware of what it's about and what it's doing. And so he decides to start promoting his club alongside ads for the movie. So that way he can kind of just bring on more, more, more views to himself. And he claims that his newfound clan will be the greatest fraternal organization on earth of all time. Yes. So when the film premiered in Atlanta, oh, for those of you who don't know, quite know what The Birth of a Nation is, it's a movie about that's basically showing that the clan were kind of heroic and that they're, they, you see them like killing black people that are trying to rape white women and the clan just looks like heroes. Oh yeah, so they're just they're always but, the defenders. Yeah. But like the reason why this movie's actually not actually beloved's not the right word, but the reason why this movie gets like credit now a little bit but beyond I mean it's racist as hell. It's of very offended. Yeah, like, yeah, white yeah. people in blackface doing horrible things as black people. But it, the reason why it was such a big deal is that they do a lot of technical things. 
in film that wasn't being done yet. I mean, it's 1915. Apparently, it was a technical masterpiece at the time. Oh, from like how they were able to like do certain shots. Yeah. And, like, what they were able to capture on film. Yeah. Like, this is a marvelous. No matter how horrifically racist it was yes. being captured on screen, it was still a marvel yeah. of cinema. People were entertained. People loved it. Like, oh my God, this is a great movie ever. And so... I mean, package the matches the right so way. So all these people leave the theater, but wow, that blockbuster was amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, holy, holy jeez, look at how that soldier saved that lady. And then when they're there... As they're leaving the film, uh, they walk out and they see a bunch of Klansmen doing a Klan ceremony. And it's like, yeah, these guys look awesome. <laughs> yeah. We just saw a movie about how awesome they are. And now here they are in front of us. Sweet. So, like, right here now, like, the Klan is, like, back. Rant, let's do it, baby. Like, the Klan's like, hell yeah. Let's per- Klan it so up. So, it's basically the perfect apex. Klan- <laughs> <laughs> so, the Klan's back. It's time to Klan. <laughs> Everybody yeah. get up, it's, it's time to clan now. We got the real clan going on. <laughs> Welcome to the clan jam. It's a it, you need to do be your a, dance, put on your hood. It's the clan jam. All right, it's okay if you're a white man. <laughs> Wave your torches in the air if you feel fine. We're gonna take a center overdrive. Welcome to the clan down. <laughs> it's clandestine if you're black. It's the clan down. <laughs> All right, all right. <laughs> Let me get them white Protestant men to say, whoop, there's the Klan. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where's all the, all the conservative women that stick to gender roles saying, whoop, there's the Klan now. White, 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 white. <laughs> Don't if it ain't white, white, it ain't right. <laughs> if it ain't white, it ain't right. Woo! That was the only thing missing in the Klan marketing. It's like, we need a catchy, <laughs> catchy beat. <laughs> they would gun everyone else. <laughs> So so, what was the result of releasing that song? Yeah, I don't think the message got across because we have a lot of young black men that want to join us now. I think we messed up in our marketing here, guys. Yeah, it's like we got way too funky with, <laughs> with that beat. It slapped too hard. Why the hell do we have Little Richard write the song? What? I, was I thought just, he was white. I, 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 I was just confused as you were, but <laughs> you paid me millions of dollars. <laughs> All right. Spring! 1920. Simmons goes to the offices of the Southern Publicity Association of Atlanta to help extend the reach of the Klan. Oh, my God. He's he's really, like, doubling daisy. He just wants all the money. All the money. The firm's partners, Bessie Tyler and Edward Young Clark, were very known for their creativity, connections, and ability to turn adversity into an advantage. Tyler and Clark... Uh, they made calls to newspapers and magazines across the country to get an idea of who would be willing to publish articles about the new clan. Um, to their amazement, many publishers were actually interested, and this was not just limited to sou- Southern publishers. Like, all across the country, they're like, yeah, we'll, we'll publish your thing about the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, Tyler and Clark were confident that the Klan's new message and aggressive, me- leadership, uh, aggressive membership campaign that they would be able to grow across the entire nation. Uh, Tyler and Clark. Oh, so, so, so he was basically like saying, like, I want this to be like nation. Let's just fucking. Well, this let's, is the, let's this pl- is the PR push. team. They're like, oh, we're, 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 push, we're, we're pushing this huge we're as hell. Because they know what the clan uh, is. They know what they're about. But I mean, they're about making money. I, I, that's what I was confused. I was like, yeah, no, they, they know. They're aware of like. They're oh, aware. Oh, okay, okay, they're so aware. Okay, they know cool, what they're doing. Cool. Just making sure the clan. 
people know the clan's bad. Okay. At this point in time. Because I know you said, like, even though this version of the clan isn't really doing anything horrible yet. People still remember people old... still remember the horrible things they did during the Reconstruction era. Like, yeah. Only people don't 30. forget. It hasn't yeah. been that long. That's fair. People okay. know what the clan's about. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. So, uh, Tyler and Clark, just, they need to come up with a way to make more money. Like, they need to make this partnership with the clan very lucrative because they knew full well that by going into the bed with the clan, that they're going to lose their Jewish clients, which they did. <laughs> of course, they're going to lose their Jewish clients. Every, you might lose everyone, yeah, but, so but, they're like, but, we but need the to make clan. Some money. So Tyler and Clark worked out a contract with Simmons that allowed them four of every $5 in new membership fees, plus profits from merchandise sales for the life of the campaign. So they got like, 80 per, like 90% of the money. You said four every five. Four of every $5 in new membership fees, plus profits from merchandise sales for the life of the campaign. Because the deal was like a four-year He gave away the campaign. merch. He gave the merch away. All those robes. All those little clan plushies. Oh, so much merch pu- capability. He needs their help. He needs their reach. I know, I know, I know. I mean, I'm, I'm just... I'm also, just, it's more about such, how smart... Su- such a good business deal. It's more about how Tyler and Clark are just smart. No, I... They're good I, businessmen. I hate saying that, but, like, they really just made... They utilized how... They're they, extremely they, important to the clan's reach. Well, for, for for them to even say we're going to lose all our Jewish clients, let's just milk this as much as we can, because yeah. we, we may just have the clan as the only people in our little portfolio. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right. So, so they were like, okay, we need to. We get, so now, after having been rebranded for that second time, Tyler and Clark are like, all right, we got to rebrand you a little more. So, what they decide is that World War I just ended and more immigrants are coming to the U.S. and they're taking jobs for low wages. So, we don't like immigrants now either. They're basically realize that the more people they hate, the more people they can bring in. Ooh. Hey, you hate that group? So does, so does the clan. You hate that group? The clan hates them too. Why don't you just join so it? So, they're basically just broadening the appeal. They're broadening the appeal of hate to bring in more people. Just to get... I mean, it's more white Protestant uh, men. Yeah, but, but... So, that's what they're doing. They're damn, more hateful. Um, that's so smart. I, I hate how smart that is. Because this was also... This was a time where white men were starting to lose... Their power, they yeah, quote unquote, like, like we're not, we're not, we're not the top dogs anymore. We only have most of the power. We know all the power because women are now women can vote. Women are gaining influence. Um, black soldiers are returning home from the war, and they want rights too, mm. and they're fighting for so it. So they're capitalizing they on equality. All, all, so like these people are capitalizing on the fear of like some the world working, working class whites, and it's like, oh hey, look, look at this organization. Like you belong. Like you're you're special. We haven't forgotten that you know whites all right. It's the best. Like, Everything's uh, changing so quickly. Let's go back to the old ways. Oh, the old. Um, man. Also, the way that morality was changing. Oh, these the, crafty fucking salespeople. <laughs> another thing is the way the morality was changing in, in America. A lot of Younger people were going to were going to cities more, and nightlife was becoming a thing. So people were going Popping. to nightclubs, twenties, and also getting, wait, is it in the twenties at this point. By the way, I was I want to jump ahead. Is uh, this the twenties? Where are we? Yeah, we're the we're in the um, we're in the we're in the twenties. So also prohibition. So they're like speakies and stuff because all this moral corruption that's happening in our society. Mm-hmm. Alcohol is gone. So they're kind of against that. They're with that too. Oh wait, so are they for prohibition or against prohibition? They're for prohibition, but of okay. course, but of course, the leaders are secretly going to oh, see yeah, this all oh, time. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's every. every that's yeah. all, you mean prohibition? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so basically, they're realizing that being white isn't as cool as it used to be. Oh shucks. But guess what, Damon? What? Wanting to keep down blacks and Jews, it's not enough. Tyler and Clark suggest new targets: Catholics, Asians, Mexicans, labor unionists, wait, so socialists. Asia, wait, so Asians and Mexicans weren't on the docket when the immigrants started coming? Like they were. So well, I mean, we're, we're, I'm still in the same. Oh, cool, cool, cool. We're I, still in the I, same. Time. I was just, I was just. I'm picturing, just being more specific. Oh, I feel you. I feel you. I was yeah. just picturing them being like, wait, 
we don't, we hate Italians, but we're okay with Mr. Ling down, down the street? Like, it's, I'm confused about this clan. Wait, hold on. Mr. Ling's great. He makes the best dumplings in town. He makes the only dumplings in town. The whole, the whole clan's like, shut the fuck up, Mr. Ling, all right? We're not, he's off the table. We're not, we're he's not. He's one t- of the good ones. We're not, yep, uh, our logic is sound. Those are my favorite races I've met. The good one races. They're like, well, you're great, Damon, because, you know, you're one of the good ones. Ooh, you're part of the worst problem. <laughs> I feel like those are the people that you can more, you can help change. You, you can, though. You you, you, you can reach they're them. The they're the ones that we can fix I, them. I, 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 should, I should rephrase. They're the more frustrating ones. They're, they're, they're so close. Like they're, 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 they're so close to being uh, like, they're like, I want to hold their hand being like, I just want to pull you just a little bit further. <laughs> and we'll be friends. This is another black person. He's also cool. What? Two cool black people. But that, I thought, but that's but, that's usually my whoa, whoa, whoa. that's my go-to move to deprogram race. I'm like, no, no, I'm not the only one. Like, if I I'll show you if I usually show a, like a, a semi bigot a second cool minority, they're like, oh, oh my parents are assholes, <laughs> <laughs> and then voila, black wife. So the new targets: Catholics, Asians, Mexicans, labor unionists. Socialists oh. and Wall Street tycoons. Oh, so they're going broad. As they don't like hell. the rich. They don't want the people that are socialists Be- or below them either. They don't want any, like they don't want people to control their yeah. labor either. And so because, really, wow, they're like lasering the in. And because the Klan is historically known for just being against racial integration and religious tolerance, it made it super easy for them to also hate pot, alcohol, <laughs> sex. Corruption, nightclubs, roadhouses, and violations Roadhouse. and violations of the Sabbath. So they were really going for the whole white Protestant. I, I really was not aware of the Protestant. Pro- the pro- white Protestants. Because maybe that's just me. Maybe most people aren't aware of like like that's so weird. I, I don't. I'm, I mean, weird's not the right word, but I never thought it would just be such a religious component of the clan. I always thought it was more like the we hate everyone, not white, not like fuck Catholics too. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Damn, Catholics can't get a break. <laughs> All right, so um, to keep the clan different from most from other fraternal organizations, they consider themselves militant enforcers of morality and decency in communities across the United States. So, so now they're they're coupling racism with like morality policing yes. as well. Oh wow, yeah. that's why wow. that's the whole thing about sex corruption and alcohol. And that's pot. A, what an amazing way to make kind of like what we were talking about with Nelson. Like, what, what, what just enough logic to make your sickness seem like fucking yeah. like fucking legit? Wow, these brand these good for these marketers, man. This is fucking terrifying how they've basically taken these like this one organization and made it more powerful just by being like let's just like let's just be lowest common denominator but also be specific enough where we can just still push out enough people racially and religiously and just get in all the people that feel the same exact way like oh so so the pr team they convinced simmons to talk more about the dangers of the catholic church and how they're going to influence the united states and how the pope's going to take over (laughs) and that so they they start making like the pope's a lizard the pope's a lizard they start making these pro clan like short films that like premiere before major movie releases to get more love for the clan and show like look how cool they are they're riding horses they're they're ghostly knights i was i was about to i was about to ask like how are they getting this money but the clan memberships they're raking the fucking money in to the pub because like the the also it's their job they're paying they have this contract so like oh so this is part hey listen we're Part of the money you're paying for the yeah. the the PR is the the, the shorts, the movies. Yeah, they like make all more the... money when the plan's making more money. Yeah, it's that simple. Uh, damn. So um, shorts before films too. And their methods were working. This was pr- within a year of the campaign. Uh, more than a hundred thousand men had paid their ten dollar. Whoa. Click. Just a year. More than hundred thousand pe- men had paid their ten dollar. 
Kleck token. <laughs> Kleck token? Kleck token. Which is the initiation fee. That's what they called it. This is some weird, um, like, Star Wars. This is a weird Star Trek bullshit. Though. And also, <laughs> the sweet cherry on top of all this hate ooh, and all this money. Ooh, tell me, Kevin, tell me. All their takings were tax-free because the clan was chartered as it a was charitable still, organization. It was still charitable! God damn it! God damn it! So the government's not even getting any of this racist money. We're not, no one's... They're only... Only the clan is benefiting from the racism. Not even the, the general pop, populace. But they're helping white Protestant men. I'm, great. <laughs> Fuck, dude. That's terrible. It's all just money. It's pure profit. Pure uh, racist profit. To increase membership, traveling promoters called... Kleagles. <laughs> Not Kegels. Kleagles. They were basically just traveling salesmen that were like, hey, join the clan. Join the clan. They weren't clansmen themselves. I mean, some of them were, but they were just guys trying to make money off the clan, too. So contractors? Like, basically? Yeah. Okay, cool. They're just door-to-door salesmen. Grifters. Oh, they got a cut of the dues for the membership, too. Everyone's getting a cut. Like, this is such a smart way to, like, incentivize people selling your racist bullshit. Because guess what? I was a salesperson for X amount of years. I sold so many things I did not actively care or endorse. But it's food on the table. Like, they are... Oh, my God. The so, sale, so you're telling me they got a commission on yes. what they... <sighs> so, the <sighs> Kleagles, being the good salesman that they are, and by good, I mean horrible. Yeah. But good at it. Um, <laughs> Most they, salespeople, great, so great, horrible. The Kleagles mostly targeted the poor, yep. romantic, short-witted, the bored, the vindictive, the bigoted, and the ambitious. The more men they could sign up meant the more crap they could sell to the masses. The production line of the clan... The produ- Kevin, stop. <laughs> the production they line. They had more than 40 newsletters at the time. They Separate gave, newsletters? Oh, throughout the whole country, because it's all different clan, like, yeah. clavins and shit. They had more than 40 newsletters. Um, they, they, you could buy bottles of initiation water <laughs> and Damon, Damon, for the romantic clansman, for that woman of the clan, mm, you could buy life. a jewel studded pendant in the form of a fiery cross for her. Oh my God. That's actually the clan for her. Honey, honey. I just saw it in the newsletter this week and I thought about you. You're just so purty. And whenever we're out there on those Negroes' property and we're just lighting that cross, I just I think about you, Darla. Oh, oh, Steve, you shouldn't have. I love you so much. I hate blacks. I hate blacks, too. Uh, another thing you could buy from their storefront was a pocket knife that was, quote, a 100% knife for 100% Americans. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm only laughing because some some branding is similar to this still. Where it's like America, a hundred. Wow. The demand for the hoods and the robes were so high that there was a factory that was just making hoods and robes for the clan that was Ooh. in Atlanta. <laughs> were there were there black workers at that factory? I don't know. <laughs> what the fuck are we making? <laughs> How good the job is. I don't care about the benefits. <laughs> Ooh, I say that now. In 1920s, someone tells me, I'll pay you how much money to make how many robes? Fuck. So, just one factory for the robes. So, after a couple years of the um, Tyler Clark campaign, more than four million Americans had joined the Klan. The revenue had topped. Four million? Four million Americans had joined the Klan. The revenue had topped 75 million dollars in 1920s money this is the early 1920s it's probably like 1924 1925 oh my god this, this is but this shows the genius of just 
all you're telling me is it's good marketing. It was amazing marketing that just sold it to they the right people. They were considered the best at the time. They were considered I, amazing. It's, they had a whole. What well, you're telling me, they had a whole like clavin of, of salespeople going door to door to sell the claim to people. They apparently saw the value in it that was so great that they were ready to lose other clients over it. So they clearly <sighs> saw something uh, yeah. they could make money oh off of. Oh my god! Because like they're they're appealing to the base. Because most sales. I'm saying this as a, I, I, I'm not begrudging salespeople. I was a salesperson for a crazy long period of time. So when I say this, I say it with love to the craft. But you are appealing to base emotions when you're selling to someone. You are trying to project your emotion. It's called it's like emotional transference. You're trying to get someone excited about something, angry about something, whatever the case might be. All I'm hearing you say is like these people appealed to the right people. Whatever that message was that appealed to these people, because it's not all the whites that were joining the clan, but that's a lot of people, so that's a lot of fucking white men. Were women allowed to join? Were they, like, just on, like, you can be a wife, um, of, the, wife of the clan, or... I think that you couldn't be. Okay. I don't think women were, because I think... Could you be a clan woman? Could you be a I clan woman? I'm not sure, but, like, women did have a role. I'm not sure if they were, like, official members, yeah. but women did have a role in the clan okay. doing certain things. Like making robes for their husbands, um, despite the quote I say in quotes success, um, Simmons, who was running the clan at the time, he was ousted by his number two, Hiram Evans. Uh, Simmons handed the organization over with a one hundred and forty-six thousand dollar buyout and a house that was called the Clan Crest. Um, Evans was hungry for more power and sought positions. It, on political issues and placing clansmen in government offices. So he was like, sorry, mentor. I am the master now. Very <laughs> simple. Said, oh, you took it. I, motherfucker. <laughs> it was right on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> but that's what happened. He, he, Evans was number two when he pushed out Simmons. Wow. I don't know how he did it, but he was like... Finagled him. Screw you, old man. Mm, I'm yeah. the new blood of the clan. Yeah. Uh, so the year is August 1925. 40,000 Klansmen marched down Pennsylvania Avenue in Washington, D.C. to flex their numbers during the Democratic National Convention. At this point in time, the KKK controlled dozens of mayors, judges, police chiefs, state legislators, super smart. congressmen, super smart. and senators. Co- super duper smart! Because <laughs> at first it was like, local, local, ooh, federal, ooh, okay, okay. The largest KKK growth did not emerge from the South. The Grand Dragon, not surprised. The Grand Dragon of the realm of Indiana, David Curtis Stevenson, built his membership in his state to over four hundred and fifty thousand. Just in the state alone, that's the state of Indiana. Indiana, bro. Indiana and I think other Indiana has Indiana. I think has the most sundown towns in all, like per per state, and it's like as of Indiana or Iowa. I have to double check one of the eyes. So if you when you told me that most of the the recruiting was not in the South, tell them. Whole podcast, guys, we're going to talk about this over and over again. It's not just the motherfucking South. It's not just the South. Stop it. Stop it. Racists are everywhere. And apparently, Indiana, you said 400 and how many thousand? 450,000. 450,000. Holy shit. So the KKK was just like, oh my God, Stevenson. You're amazing at bringing them in. Can you go across the country and try to bring in more people? Mm -hmm. So he was sent to recruit more followers in other states. He recruited. more than 300,000 in Ohio, where he owned a vacation home on the Buckeye Lake in rural Licking County. Uh, more than 75,000 people came to hear him speak at the KKK Conclave on the lake in 1923, and those numbers returned again in 1925 when they had another gathering. 
So people are just going. Seventy five thousand people are just going to hear this man speak. Wow. Um, Akron, Ohio had that's planned. A, that's a huge amount of people for just like a public like gathering. No, there's no movie or anything going on. Just, nope, we're just gonna watch this man talk. I mean, it's nineteen twenty three. What else are you gonna do? I know, but at the same time, like you could be doing other things in town. So that that's how much they wanted to go. So like they're like, all right, fuck it. Everyone's talking about racism. Cool. I'm uh, down with racism. Akron, Ohio managed to claim fifty two thousand members, making it the largest chapter in the country. Uh, Shout out Akron, Ohio. <laughs> by, increasing, <laughs> by increasing the numbers so dramatically, Stevenson amassed a huge fortune of over $3 million. $3 billion? No, just million. Oh, okay. But it's the 1920s, so oh, okay. yeah. it's pretty awesome. Nice. Pretty he's, having, he's having like big-ass Gatsby racist parties. Nice. Hate blacks, hate blacks, hate uh, blacks, blacks, Stevenson blacks, blacks. owned a mansion outside of Indianapolis. He had a yacht on Lake Michigan. He had a private railroad car. He had an airplane. And guess what else he had? He had his own police force called the Horse Thief Detective Association. Okay. He had his own little army. Wow. So he was going full on megalomaniac. (laughs) Stevenson basically took control of Indiana state government, boasting to people often, I am the law in Indiana. Wow. Confidence. That's that's a confident guy. In public, he defended prohibition. And the sanctity of womanhood, but in private, he would drink all the time and be banging broads all the time. Because of course he is. Yeah, uh, I, I love me some old school hypocrisy. The rich guys actually at the top, they really had a they had a serious problem with their ghouls. <laughs> with the ghouls, uh, the ghouls were taking their words to heart just when the clan had first emerged with all the evil hate rhetoric. So mm. all the ghouls are flogging black political candidates, harassing Jewish businessmen, attacking the Catholics, using acid to burn KKK into var- var- varnish. In, sorry, using acid to burn KKK into victims' foreheads. Oh, I thought you were going to say varnish. My bad. Victim foreheads. Cool, cool, cool. Um, they even attacked Protestants, the people they're supposed to like, if they were ever performing in any alleged immoral behavior or betraying their race or gender. Quote, unquote, immoral behavior. These fucking reli- so religious. So bad news Jeez, for the clan, bro. Bad news for the clan. Public oh, no. support began to dwindle. Uh, for and, the clan? And anti-mask laws were We're even, talking about the same clan, right? Yeah, they're, uh, they're not doing too good right now. Oh, no. Oh, fuck. Don't worry. They'll be back. God, I... Oh, they're like a weed, Damon. You pull one out, and then two more just pop right up. Good old, good old clan. All right, so, um... Public support began to dwindle. Anti-mask laws were passed to deter hooded gatherings, and the membership began to fall fast. Clark and Tyler were caught with alcohol on their breath at an alleged house of prostitution. <laughs> so the PR team, they're in legal trouble. Okay. Stevenson, the guy who's a super rich Klansman, has his own little scandal, which is super messed up. You ready to hear about it? Please. So here's his sex scandal. Stevenson proposes to a young woman in Indiana, and she declines. So, you know, if a woman says no to you asking to marry her, you know, back off. She's not interested. No, he has two of his goons kidnap her and take it to take her to his private train car. Uh, he beats the shit out of her. He viciously beats her, rapes her, and mauls her? Oh, so in, like, probably, like, just, uh, like, a biting? Like, a maul? A, a, a mauling is, like, a biting mauled. and scratching. Said she was mauled. Um, then when he was done with her, his henchman just took her back to Indianapolis Two weeks later, she dies from overdose of pills. Stevenson is charged. Jesus Christ! Stevenson is charged with this murder. Person, the PR team? It's one of the people the PR no, no, team. No, no, is this... the PR team got caught in a whorehouse uh, oh, with alcohol. Okay, thank you, thank you, thank you. Stevenson Sorry. is the clan guy who's really charismatic. Uh, who, like, go uh, recruit more people. Okay, cool. Stevenson, uh, he's charged with murder, 
And the trial is highly publicized, and he's found guilty and sentenced to life imprisonment. So this really hurts the clan's image. (laughs) Uh, Clan membership falls even further. Um, Amid the number of controversies, um, the clan decided to dissolve the charter and told the world that they were finished in the 1930s. Many chapters did shut down, while others operated in secret with new adopted names such as White Cross Clan in Oakland and just other variations of the clan. That's not technically the clan. White Cross! Uh... Jump ahead to the summer of 1940. Adolf Hitler's Nazi regime in Europe is likening a spark in the United States and breeds another resurgence of the Klan. And this Klan decides to kind of join up with the new breed of Nazi hate groups that are also emerging in America. The German-American Bund. They are a group of Nazi sympathizers that praised Hitler, preached fascism, and, you know, they just, they're Nazis. They're Nazis. Nazis do Nazi stuff. They're Nazis. So... On August 14, 1940, more than a 1,000 Klansmen and Bundsmen assembled on the grounds of Camp Nordland for a day of anti-Semitic speeches and Negro bashing. <laughs> Good old-fashioned Negro bash. The Bundesfuhrer, who's the leader of the Bundsmen, proclaims that the principles of the Bund and the principles of the Klan are the same. KKK Grand Giant from New Jersey joined hand-in-hand with the Bunsmans on stage. What a bizarre D&D script you're reading right now. You said the No, this is reality. I know, I I, I know, I know. You can say as much as you want, Kevin. Real world. Super hard. 1940s. (laughs) They're joining hand in hand on stage being like, look at us, we're together. Klansmen, woo! Like a metaphorical marriage. Because guess what else happened there? Um, They had an actual marriage. There was a clan marriage there. Um, Two clansmen got married beneath a fiery cross. Do they call that a clamage? A clanage? So there's an international and American fascisms had joined in this metaphorical match as well because, you know, that's more romantic than hate speech. Yeah, it's like, wait, 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 let's let our racism combine. All right. So now, you know, let's give the clan a break. I'm I'm a little clanned out. So let's get back to Superman. Nice. Remember Superman? Yeah. That guy I was supposed to be talking about? I know, but like you had to understand, you had to lead them <laughs> down the path of the clan. All right. So Superman, it's the 40s. He's big. He's huge. Everyone huge. loves Superman. Huge. Superman's radio show is a huge hit. It's sponsored by Kellogg's. It draws in more than 4 million listeners and is broadcast on more than 200 mutual stations nationwide. With World War II happening at the time, a lot of stories involved Superman every now and then aiding the war effort. Uh, He would do, like, secret missions sometimes, but he would mostly stick to problems at home because they realized that if we have Superman actually fighting in the war, the war would just be over. Even Siegel was like, he's too powerful, he just stopped the war. So they just have him do like secret missions every now and then, help guys, yeah. frontline problems. But the idea was also like, people also want escapism. So he's mostly, so a lot of times he'd be fighting like Lex Luthor or whoever else his villains were at the time. So you don't have to worry Metropolis. about the war. So it was also the idea of like, don't worry, soldiers, Superman's keeping everyone safe at home. Like it was that kind of fun thing. Um, yeah, Superman's huge. Everyone loves Superman. He's the shit. Uh, and then here's the problem. So World War II ends. And the writers need to come up with a new relevant enemy for the boy in blue. Makes sense. Yeah, Kennedy was a... He um, he didn't fight in World War II uh, because of a certain injury. I forget what he had. Okay. Um, but he So he decided he was going to fight hate and racism at home. Nice. As a child, in, um, in, he grew up in Florida. Good for you, St- he grew up in Florida. The Klan was very prevalent, and he didn't quite understand. Like, when he's a kid, you know, it's like, oh, these guys are like look like knights in their robes and whatever. Oh, they look kind of cool. And then one day... His housekeeper was a black woman. He saw her beat by Klansmen and didn't understand why they were beating him, why they were beating her. 
And she tells him, like, oh, it's because I'm black and they're racist. And he, like, kind of gained an understanding of the Klan and hate. And he started dedicating part of his life to dismantling the Klan. Um, so with the aid of the Atlanta branch of the Anti-Defamation pretty, League. Pretty, pretty, pretty cool goal. Pretty yeah. cool life. Pretty cool life yeah. goal. <laughs> so um, with the aid of the Atlanta branch of the Anti-Defamation League and the Non-Secretarian Anti-Nazi League, or just the Anti-Nazi League, also called the A&L, uh, Kennedy was given false identification as an encyclopedia salesman named John Perkins. Encyclopedia. So he used the name to subscribe to a lot of publications like the American Gentile Army, the White Front, the Christian Front, and the Union Christian Crusaders as a means to cozy up to the Klan, to make him look like he would be a potential target to join the Klan. Um, so he's trying to join the Klan in Atlanta. That's the branch he's trying to get involved in and kind of exploit and just dismantle them from the inside. So in May 1946, the Klan returned to Stone Mountain. Remember that mountain where they had that big rally? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Like that, that's saying, that's, wait, so it's like a, a reconvening, like, we're coming, we're coming so back. So they're coming back, 1946. So like, Stone Mountain again, more than 1,000 men show up in hoods and robes. Is it 100,000 people? Um... More than a thousand. Oh, more than a thousand. Yeah, I was like, what the fuck? Um, the Grand Dragon, Samuel Green, stands over an altar, similar to what it was before. Flagstones draped with an American flag, decorated with an unsheathed sword, canteen of water, and the Bible turned to Romans 12. Basically, a thing just saying, like, hey, we're awesome. We're going to use God. Because we're we because we, we we've been using God this whole time. Why, why are we why are we why stop using why stop using God now? Yeah. <laughs> um, Green gave a speech as a call to arms in defense of white rule and led the two hundred new recruits in a sacred oath of initiation because it was like an, also like an initiation for everyone. So he does an oath, an, oath, an oath of initiation, and Green warns everyone that if anyone in this group betrayed the organization and its secrets, that they would be punished by death at the hands of a brother. Crying out, "We are revived!" at the end of the ceremony. This ceremonial performance was witnessed by thousands of spectators from major newspapers and magazines who described the ceremony as eerie, mysterious, awesome, and haunting. Life magazine featured a four-page photo spread headlined, Ku Klux Klan Tries a Comeback. It pledges initiates in a mystic pageant on Georgia's Stone Mountain. Green's message had been sent to the masses. The Klan is making a comeback. Um... Green prepared for the Klan's revival by traveling the, country, traveling the country to test the public sentiment and found many across the nation would respond to the call. Uh, Green would tap into white fear, as the Klan always does. Uh, of course, of course. We, we, hit, we hit the right milestones the first time. Let's so, just do it again. Again, World <laughs> War II is, 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 um, is coming to God, an end. It's wild. That, like, why, but why, why wouldn't they do the same thing? It works so... Like, we even, like you just said, why, why change a fucking thing in the Makes model? Money. Yeah. Um, wow. Marketing. So, so what Green used for fear this time was that since black military veterans were returning from World War II and they were seeking equal rights and they saw that as an attack on white rule. Oh, so again, similar yeah. thing from World War One. Black that, soldiers coming over wanting equality. That white fear, boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to avoid potential problems with the federal government, Green named his organization the Association, the Association of Georgia Clans, giving himself the role of Grand Dragon of the Georgia realm while strengthening ties to the KKK entities in, the ten- in Tennessee, Oregon, California, and New Jersey, among others. Because at this point in time, the KKK is basically condemned and he can only be like a weird, legally safe knockoff of the Klan because if you decide yourself, we're the Klan, like, they're just going to prosecute you. Like The Klan's not allowed to exist anymore. 
He oh, right. fucked it up. So he has to be like a weird like. We're not the clan. Shoot. We're not the clan. Are they we're the in... association of Georgian clans. Are they? Are they still fucking tax exempt? They're, they're the clans. Oh, they're the, okay. Are they still tax exempt? I'm not sure. Okay, that's the one thing that's not still just like irking the shit out of me. It's like that's so genius. <laughs> All the money. So what Green didn't know at the time was that the organization had already been compromised. Ooh. Um, the Georgia Department of Law had already had undercover agents inside Claver Number no. One, which is one of their big offices. Okay, and the FBI was watching them too. Oh, nice. So, so people, are, so as they're trying to reemerge, people aren't stupid. Yeah, this time the government's <laughs> like, okay, they're going to do something again. Let's get some inside men so we know what they're going to do and stop them from the inside. Hey, Johnson, just be like, I hate blacks, and then you're in the you're in the organization. Here's right. here, here's ten dollars. <laughs> so, 1946, Stetson Kennedy receives his application to the Invisible Empire of the Invisible Knights. Empire! Of the Knights of the KKK in Atlanta, it read, To His Majesty the Imperial Wizard, I, the undersigned, a native-born true citizen of the U.S., being a white male Gentile person of of temperance, of temperate habits, sound of mind, and believer in the tenets of Christian religion and white supremacy and the principles of a pure Americanism, do most respectfully apply for membership in the Knights of the KKK, through Clavern Number One, Realm of Georgia. Wow, butter him up, butter him up. You gotta get in there. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, um, can get Kennedy the, was in. Can't get the white supremacy. Kennedy's in the clan now. Hell yeah. As his pseudonym. Uh, what did I say the pseudonym was? Oh, John Perkins is his fake name. John Perkins. So he um writes a book called Southern Exposure, which reveals a lot of the inner workings of organized hate groups and explains the underlying causes of racism in the Deep South. Uh, Kennedy was only able to get so far within the clan. So he needed help. He had found a deeply embedded mole operating under the name John Brown, thanks to the ANL and the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League and the Anti-Nazi League. Mm-hmm. They, they're helping him out to get more resources. So John Brown is a former Klansman that grew up to see the true nature of the organization and committed himself to revealing the violent actions and conspiracies of the Klan. Brown still had, still had the trust of the KKK leadership and used it to dive deeper into the infamous Nathan Bedford Forrest Claver number one. Oh, so he's just like, I'm going to use everything I have to just embed myself yeah, further. he's further, already further. deep in. Let me get deeper because I know that how these guys are. Sure, why not? Um, so this this group, they meet, met every Monday night at the at the Cavernous Union Hall at 198 and a half Whitehall Street. Whitehall Street. <laughs> I just got that. Um, on brand, on brand. Brown had detailed reports of the KKK's plans, including the revival at Stone Mountain a year before that even happened. Damn. Uh, he also had notes for plans of attacks on Negroes moving into white neighborhoods and the involvement of the Atlanta police officers in KKK violence. All right, fair enough. By Brown's count, 83 of the 200 men in Claver Number 1 were Atlanta police officers Jeez. that were actively involved in cross burnings. Jesus Christ. It's, it's crazy how They would be like there to make sure cross burnings went well, nothing, no one got hurt, Yeah, and they would direct traffic for the claim whenever they'd have rallies and stuff. No, don't worry. Just a cross burden. Go around slow. Go in around a, slow. In a report from April 29th, 1946, Brown reported that the Grand Dragon Samuel Green was advised to, quote, write a letter of appreciation to a policeman named Itchy trigger, trigger Finger Nash in connection with the slaying of a Negro on Dacre Street last week. This makes the 13th Negro he has killed in his line of duty. It seems that Dr. Green would like to decorate these policemen who would kill Negroes with the Klan. Oof, so they are just doubling down hard as hell and just like, we're going to reward you for killing the, the, ra- the, the, the worst race. Brown gets deeper into the Klan. Brown had even managed to infiltrate the paramilitary flog squad 
that carried out midnight whippings, beatings, and murders of selected targets. Jesus Christ. Kennedy had reported to the ANL on May 6, 1946, quote, Our informant is now a member of the Klan's inner circle, the Clavalier Club, spelled with a K. Yeah, of course. That's amazing. Clav- that's amazing. I love how silly the Klan is. The quote, it's so silly. The quote continues. Our informant has learned that Green is an honorary member and bears the card number 000. Obviously, the Clavalier Club is the stormtrooper arm of the Klan, and there is some effort to divorce the regular Klan officials from responsibility of their actions. So it's kind of like a sub-secret. Like, you're not really the Klan, but you're... Oh, you're, you're, the you're hell the Klan. So, oh, hell yeah. So the, so the SS of the Klan? Exactly. Like, no, nice. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Brown even got inside their secret subunits, because, of course, there's all these fucking... Subs and subs and subs. Oh, you're such a cool organization. You have uh, organizations within your organizations within your organization. You're doing it. Wow, you're so cool. Because also, um, the, the other organization can't say they're associated with the Klan, because all the Klans are, like, underground now, because it's basically illegal to be a Klansman. Yeah. Um, Brown got inside the secret subunit of the Clavalier Club that called itself the Ass Terrors and printed on its calling card the images of corkscrews, its implement of choice for torturing and disemboweling its victims. Jesus Christ. So so I'm going to turn to a page in the book now that I didn't even take notes because it's so fucked up. I just said, Kevin... Turn to page 130 and 131 of the book that you took notes of because it's a lot. <laughs> so I think now I'll let the readers know that the, the main source of this topic of where I found all this information was Superman vs. the Ku Klux Klan by Rick Bowers. <laughs> Rick Bowers. That Good was, for, that was the you, source sir. of this story. So let's go to that page that past Kevin told me I should read. Good job, past Kevin. Help okay. me get Kevin out. The infiltrators report painting painted... A haunting picture of the KKK conspiracies and violence, as well as the paranoid mentality that pervaded the Clavern. The reports detail a hit lists targeting anti-Klan journalists and even plots to steal weapon caches from government stockpiles to use in an all-out onslaught against African Americans. Even the mundane matters described in the reports are eye-opening, from membership drives and publicity campaigns to ham dinners put Put on by the ladies' auxiliary to raise money for their husband's work. Ooh, that ladies' auxiliary putting in that work. The moles centered most of their attention on Green and his top henchmen. Because at this point in time, they were calling men to take action against Negroes, Jews, Catholics, and liberals. Because what else is new? That's what they do. And so the main goal for this was what they were trying... What, what, what um, Kennedy was trying to do with his man on the inside was that if that they could prove that Klan busters were involved with the Atlantic Clavern and they were acting as the center of the national program that they could push Georgia to revoke the organization's state charger, oh. charter, thus leaving Green and Company open to federal income tax debt and possible prosecution in federal court. Nice. So that's the goal. They need to prove that Green is connected to the actual Klan and then that way they can remove his charter that he has of his knockoff clan because they're also a nonprofit and they're tax free. So, oh, so even if they are tax they free, are so damn. Even, so, so by pressing these charges against them, they can basically just make them pay taxes, which <laughs> will hurt them. Yeah, will devastate them. Yeah, because they'll probably pay back taxes. Essentially, too. ruin them. Yeah. So, um, at this point in time, the. Anti-Defamation League approaches the Superman team about the radio program. They talk about how they have information about the Ku Klux Klan and its inner sanctum. 
and that they know exactly what they know what's going on. And the producers love it. They're like, hell yeah, let's do it. Uh, Stenson Kennedy gives them all this information, secret code words, uh, tells them about like the words they use, the titans, the ghouls, the cyclopses. And they love it. They're like, hell yeah, we can definitely work with this. We so love, we, the radio we, we show. We love this hot, hot jargon. Yeah, so the radio show used the information he had to just. Now we can have the new villain of Superman, the Ku Klux Klan. What a proper villain. Right? True evil. Okay. Showtime, Damon. Ooh! Okay, so the goal of the radio show was to create an engaging, action packed 16 part series. Dramatizing the realities of the KKK. 16-part series. 16 Whoa, series. they are going in like a motherfucker. That's awesome. Because I could have been like, let's do like a four-part. Or like even ten, I would have been like, that's a lot. But they're like, no, fuck the clan. I mean, they have a ton of information about <laughs> the clan. I realistically... They've like, got the, they have access to moles in the clan. They probably were like, well, let's start with five. Okay, okay, we're going to do the eight. Okay, we, we might do a ten page. Okay, scrap everything. We'll just keep we'll keep recording until we run out. <laughs> okay. Also, the creators made sure to avoid any real confrontation with the clan. Oh. Given I was, was going to ask how. Given that they sort of did operate under legal charter at the time, okay. so they didn't want to upset anyone, and they didn't want to put anyone in risk. Yeah. So they changed the name of their group, the Clan of the Fiery Cross, which. Oh, instead of the Ku Klux Klan, yeah. it's just called in the Superman like radio show. The yeah, Klan in the Superman, the... It's, it's called Superman versus the Clan of the Fiery Cross. Wow, no K's, it's C's, it's spelled correctly. That's amazing, though. That every, anyone with a brain, yeah, especially at that time, be like, duh. So this is awesome. The story was centered on a Chinese American boy and his family who had recently moved to Metropolis, and it's about them becoming victims of the hate group. Just so they could show listeners that, hey, like, because most people think of the Klan, like, oh, they hate black people, which I think even people today just think that's what it is. Yeah. No, they hate everyone. I thought it was minorities, Jews, obviously, like, that was a huge thing. But, yeah, no, like, it's just so so far more reaching. And a a Chinese-American boy just to show that, like, hey, they hate other people beyond race. Um, The script actively made sure not to distinguish their characters by race by using any dialects dialects or silly accents. Like They were like, no, we're not doing that. Good. Because it'll, didn't, didn't it'll send the wrong message. Yeah, that's um, smart. This was not about condemning Southerners or stereotyping minority groups. This was about teaching tolerance to young listeners so that they could know how damning uh, the prejudice was. So the story is just basically about how a little a young boy and his family moved to Metropolis and they play for a baseball team. He plays on a baseball team and he's like the best pitcher ever. But the old pitcher, the kid who's the other pitcher, he doesn't like that this new Asian boy is pitching. It's bullcrap. Like, I should be pitching. And by accident, he he throws a ball at him and almost hits him. And that kid thinks he did it on purpose. Yeah. So he goes to his uncle, who's like the villain of the story, who is a part of the clan of the Fiery Cross. And he doesn't like that the Chinese <laughs> boy taking his, his nephew's job. So um, the show makes a point to just have... Um, to show how bad the clan is, um, there's one part where Clark Kent tells Jimmy Olsen. Also, Jimmy Olsen's coaching the baseball team too. Oh, really? That ties it into it. It's oh, like a, it's supposed to be like an inner city youth baseball team, so like they're writing like stories about mm-hmm. it. Jimmy's coaching the team, so uh, Clark Kent tells Jimmy the clan of the Fiery Cross is made up of intolerant bigots. Jim, they don't judge a man in the decent American way by his own qualities. They judge him by what church he goes to or the other color of, or the color of his skin. Clark goes on to describe them their intolerance as a filthy weed <laughs> and that their only hope is to hunt out the roots and pull them out of the ground. 
Uh, it was really important to show the listeners that anyone could stand up to the Klan, not just Superman. So they make a lot of points where even Perry White is calling out the atrocity of the Klan. He's like, I'm not scared of these hateful guys. I'm an American. and I'm, We just fought an entire war to prove that it doesn't matter what your religion or what your race is. Like, this is a, you should be free. Yeah, why, are we, why are we backtracking on this? Yeah, yet? so they wanted to have Perry White be like a really big part of it by being like, hey, you don't have to be Superman to say that this is wrong and stand up to these bullies. Yeah. Great. Um, Which kind of goes with the whole Superman's message as a whole. It's like he's trying to inspire everyone. So yeah. it's like, so the character that is Superman should be like, hey, listen, like I'm, I can't fly, but I also do not hate black people. <laughs> like anyone can, any, everyone should be fighting against this racist bullshit. Like that's that's great, smart, so, smart characterization. All right, so it was very important to the show that um, to show that this was more than just a hate group. It was a business. Um, that this organization was seeking to make money off the lonely, the ignorant, the gullible, and men dumb enough to join. And that's even the way they describe it in the story. Um, the leader of the organization of this clan um, comes to meet uh, the villain Riggs, the uncle, mm-hmm. because he um, he's trying to like get the Chinese boy, and the Chinese boy breaks his arm in the story, and Superman saves him earlier on, so he can't pitch the big game. And then this guy is trying to plan like an evil attack on like this baseball game. Um and so when he goes to the bosses being like, I can't believe, look what they're doing. The bosses are like, what are you talking about? He goes, they go like, is it possible? This is what they say. Is it possible that you actually believe all the stuff about getting rid of the foreigners, that one race, one religion, one color hook them? <laughs> You've become drunk on the slop we put up for suckers, the jerks who go for that 100% American rot. I'm running a business here, Riggs, and so are you. We deal in one of the oldest, most profitable commodities on earth. Hate. Yeah. The show is a huge success. Um, it's the ratings were through the roof and it solidified that this show as one of the best children's radio shows ever. Uh, it was praised by the National Conference of Christians and Jews, awarding Superman with the statement, we want you, Superman, to know how grateful we are for all for, for everything you do and for rooting out all the hatred. Um, Newsweek declared Superman is the first children's program to develop a social conscience. Officials for both sponsor Damn. and network Damn. were relieved when the show's plea of for tolerance began attracting the highest ratings in the history of the series. Uh, when they were faced uh, with scrutiny from anti-Semitic commentators and the Klan, uh, the show, who was sponsored by Kellogg's, were like, shut up. We don't give a shit. We don't care. <laughs> shut up. Um, Pimp smack. Yeah, so so basically at this point, the Klan had started to dwindle even more. And people, Kennedy, unfortunately, kind of took a lot of credit for like, oh, I'm the reason the Klan went down. When like, no, because so many people were embodied in the Klan they had so many FBI agents and spies inside of it that this yeah. clan was falling apart as it is. Yeah. And this just is like, wow, not only are you guys being invaded by the government, but now children are laughing at you. Like Children yeah. think you're a joke. Yeah. And that's the biggest point of the show. So like a common misconception about this story is that people say that uh, they revealed secret code words in the radio show, which yeah. they don't. Uh, Kennedy did tell the um, the writers about the code words, but they didn't incorporate them in the story. Because that's not really what's important. Like, the reason why this story is such a big deal is because um, this showed children and adults everywhere that the deep-seated prejudice that fueled the KKK's mission and the greed for money that motivated its leaders, that it's, like, that's what they're about. Like, they're not, they're just, like, greedy assholes. And it just, now children see it. Like, they saw this satire and they used it against them and screw the clan. Yeah, no, fuck the clan in every way, shape, or form. Yeah. And I'm glad that Superman was had a way to actively show that he really is for like truth, justice, and the American way. The oh, Ameri- yeah. American American way is not American way is not hate. 
It's not. It never has been. I think people try to um, use patriotism or just any type of like plurality to say like, well, we can also, you can only be American if you also don't like blacks. You can also like this or that. Like that's an insane concept because everyone from here is a fucking immigrant. Like for either on purpose or against their will. Unfortunately, we're being really real, but it's just that we're all we're all in this fucking dumbass republic together. And yeah. the fact that like a clan would have the audacity to think that we can try and capitalize on their whiteness and try and say like they're like the best group or not even like the best group but just to, to think that it's any anything but insane like i'm glad that most of the reason why i did well is because of, of greed as opposed to hate that's what it boils down to like greed was the main thrust of the clan taking its tendrils into fucking america just people want money yeah like just how can we make money off idiots <laughs> That, that's that's a true american tale right there unfortunately <laughs> unfortunately how we make fucking yeah, money off it's of idiots. almost a cult it is, it, it is no, not almost. It fucking is, and pain dues. The only thing that's only thing that's not culty is like the the grand dragons aren't fucking the other people's wives. That's kind of it that we know of. Real talk. <laughs> yeah, that was fucking riveting. Yeah. That's an ama- amazing story about the clan. I would have never known. I didn't know dick about the history. Like, no, at, at all. So, yeah. how do you feel from all that? All that racism coating your brain, Kevin. Oh my God, it's exhausting. It sounds, so much hate. I know, so but hate. it's important. Listeners, but now our listeners know. Like, it's just, it doesn't start from just, like, you know, they don't come out of nowhere. It's just a couple yeah. things just keep the embers alive, like, bit by bit. Just fan the flames. Fan the flames. But I'm glad, like, now it's kind of like, I feel like it's known that the clan's just kind of a fucking joke. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, what the fuck? But also, anytime I, it's a parade, I'm like, I'm never afraid of the clan. But also, I think there's a danger to us treating the clan of as course, a joke. Of course. Because we don't see them as an actual threat. And Even, we should. Because they're still a paramilitary they, threat. Time and time again, from the history I just described, they start out as we hate things, and then they start they start action they they have they take action and do horrible things, and then we're like, oh shit, I guess we should stop these idiots, and then we stop them, and then it happens again. It's happened like three times in history. There are like three different waves of the clan. Yeah, so. You know, just, I think that's a really important distinction to make that we can joke and say, oh, they're so dumb, but you are right. They have an agenda. They have, like, they, it's shown from this small story that you've told, like, they have legs. Unfortunately, yeah. unfortunately, hate has legs, and they will find, some will find a way to glom onto this probably at some time in the future. My only hope is that it'll be so watered down from the amount of people that actively will flock to the message. I just think, like, this, the, the marketing can never be as good as it was because just we have so much information now. It's just yeah. like the uh, people that will be affected in the same way and the same zeal. Like it just, that's what I'm hoping for that even though there's always possibility of them coming back, just the, all the things that had to come into place from what, everything you said, it was just like all these moving parts that had to just keep the fucking machine going. I can't, it's a business. It, it, it's it, an it, industry. It, it would have to take a lot. It, honestly, the only thing would have to be of, of some, of some, business incentive to embolden the clan again but I think that as a whole we're kind of moving past like hey as a business from like a racial hey aspect so we're kind of going the whole like woke is the best type of thing ever like it's like just make sure it's like we're gonna have a representation here and there so I think the marketing how do you market to like a clan now how do you say like let's build a clan up again like how who are you gonna the, there's not gonna be one PR company that's gonna be well we're gonna lose all our Jewish clients and you're gonna lose every client ever <laughs> it's do not take this marketing camp do not take this marketing job no matter how much money they're giving you I don't care how many millions that you're promised or what the prospects are it's it's not worth it. So we're both uh, we're both big old nerds, and we also saw this as an opportunity to talk about Superman. Yeah, we both. I love Superman. I think he's great, and it breaks my heart that he hasn't had like a great movie ever. Can you think of one great Man of Steel's 
all right. Yeah. And then the first Christopher Reese Superman movie is also good, but it's super dated. But, like, other than that, I feel like there's no other Superman. Like, Superman 2 is okay. Superman 3, we just went over. We don't really like it. Superman 4, never saw because it's terrible. Superman Returns is boring as shit and pointless because it's the fifth Superman movie. And why would you continue a series that ended, like, 20 years ago? Just start them over again. Why are you continuing the same story? Okay, whatever. But I love Superman. And I think he's a really important character. I think it's interesting how I think I've heard people say the reason Superman doesn't work anymore is he's old fashioned and he's hokey and the truth just in the American way just doesn't apply now. But I argue he's always been hokey, even for the 40s, because it was so hard to even get him made because people didn't believe in him. Yeah. And I think that I love Superman. He's so important. He's such an important American icon. And and, and realistically, just like when it comes to my like my fervor for it's not I don't love him as much as you do, but I understand the importance of Superman just like just for comic books, just for like the just for the the chance to just portray like good archetypes in, in, in a palatable way. It doesn't seem like. That's actually uh, for for the fifties and sixties or even the forties and Superman's out and about. Like you have something that kids can latch onto. That's not just the Bible or not just you know school. It's like this is like a, a comic book, but you're learning like good values about yeah. being a good person. Do this. Like don't treat anyone differently. He fought the KKK. He fought the KKK for fuck's sake. Like that's a big deal. That's a huge deal. Yeah. That, that's an American icon right there. There's a reason why people are fighting so much for Superman. Why there's so much. We said earlier why there's so much animosity when it comes to creating Superman media because it's an important piece of American history. So anything that's important, people will fight over, tooth and nail. They will they'll drag it into the dirt to fight over it. as opposed to make the best product. They'd rather, rather tarnish it. So, mm. you know, I get it. I really do. Like, this was... Superman is, is important, even though he's a fucking cartoon character. But, like, guess what? Like, they still matter. Like, media, media shapes the culture. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, and vice versa. I think he inspires. I just think he inspires hope in like a lot of his stories. We even we I've read a lot of Superman comics, so part of us thought that we would use this also as an opportunity to recommend some Superman comics to you guys. If Hell you want to yeah. read a Superman comic book, these are ones that I personally like. I haven't read every Superman comic. I'm not gonna say I have, but the ones I have read. These are the ones that I like a lot, and I think Damon's read a few too. So yes. I'm just going to start with one I that ch- I like I, a lot. I will chime in when, when, I'm, when I'm able to. Um, I, one I really like a lot is um, Superman for All Seasons from 1998. It's by Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale. It's uh, four issues, and basically each issue is from someone else's perspective. The first one's from Pa Kent's perspective. second one is Lois Lane. The third one's Lex Luthor. And then the fourth one is Lana, Lana Lang. And it's just all of them, like, how Superman has affected their lives and how they perceive Superman and how they feel about him. And Tim Sale's art is very, like, it's simple, but it's also really bombastic and silly. He did the art for, um, like, The Long Halloween, if you if you read that one. I have, I, but I read The Long Halloween so long. I really like Tim Sale's art style. It's a good so one. I think it's worth the read. It's, a, it's an interesting story. Um, another good one is Secret Identity. That's one of my favorite Superman stories where it's not technically a Superman story. It's actually about a kid named Clark Kent who one day just gets the powers of Superman. And it's four issues. Um, it's by Kurt Kurt uh, Busick and Stuart Amonin. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. Ammonia. <laughs> and I don't want to get get into that plot one too much. I don't want to spoil it. But it's basically like, if what if some kid just got the powers of Superman? And he was in the real world. And what would that be like? And it's a really good story. I, che- I would recommend you check it out. Um, another really good one is Alan Moore and Kurt Swan's Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow, which it's the idea of kind of if Superman to have a finale, what would it be like and what would it be? 
it's more about the finale of like what would the the Silver Age Superman, how would his story end, and it's an ending for him, and it's pretty good. Damon, I think you read this one recently. It's one I like a lot. It's um, What's So Funny About Truth, Justice in the American Way. Also, it's Action Comics 775 from 2013 by Joe Kelly, Doug Mahanick, and Lee Bermino. Bermio? Bermijo? I like how Bermijo sounds. Bermijo sounds. Bermijo? But no, um, the one with the hunting disease, that was the truth. Like, what's so funny? No, no, not... What's so funny about Truth Justice in Way is that's the one with the elite, right? Yes, yes. yes that was... I think out of all of the ones we may read on this list, like, I haven't read a lot of Superman comics, but someone that has read a lot of comic book media that really enjoys, like, the the aesthetic and what it can do for a storytelling perspective, that's a really good comic book for a super, for as well also for a Superman story and everything that we've kind of talked about, how the character represents how he's trying to be the best version of he's trying to represent what you can be if you're the best version of yourself. And that story, even though the casing is about how he's basically trying to fight against a superpowered group of anti-heroes, quote-unquote, that really are trying to solve their problems through just murder. They kill the people that basically the whole point of the comic is like, hey, we don't agree with Superman's ways. He just He's part of the problem. The people he captures break out, so let's just kill them. Superman says, no, 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 no. <laughs> You've not been paying attention. <laughs> That's exactly the opposite of what I care about. And the comic book is about him just kind of trying to prove that he's... He's right. Like you really yeah. should be trying to do. You should. You can obviously be a good guy, but you can't stoop to the level of the evil that you're trying to stop. Like that's kind of the whole yeah. point of that story. That's a good Superman story. Yeah. It shows like it's what a very the character. Because the point is also what you're saying is that it's showing that he's still relevant and why yes. his message is so yes. important. Yes, yes, yes. Very but it good. does it in a way where it's action packed and exciting, but also makes you think. One issue too. So like, yeah, yeah, just a one, one thirty nine pages. Really, they made it into a movie called Superman versus the Elite. It's an animated movie that I would highly recommend if you don't feel like reading a comic book. That too, that too. Another one I really like is uh, Superman American Alien by Max Landis, and there's a lot of artists involved in that one. It's uh, Jay Lee, Joelle Jones, Tommy Lee Edwards, Nick Dragata, Jonathan Case, and Francis um, Manipal. Uh, That's kind of like a Superman origin story from, like I said, it's from 2015. It's fairly new. It's uh, Each issue is kind of like a different day in the life of Superman. Like ones where it's like little kid Superman, then there's like young teen Superman, and then there's like college Superman, and it's him slowly how like each these little steps in his life helps shape him into the man that that becomes Superman. That sounds awesome. And each issue is written a little differently, and each one has a different artist. So like, so the first one's kind of more of like a a kid's like a kid like trying to grow up. That hits so many things I like. (laughs) Uh, One is like a criminal. Story one. Oh, one I'm, is, gonna, I'm gonna read the fuck out of that. Really good. That sounds really good, dude. I actually have the um the single issues of all of that. Oh, series. do you? Yeah. Oh, of course you do. I like that one a lot. Well, it's from 2015, so I was able to get it. And it was yeah. a limited series. It's really good. That sounds really good. Like one of them is like more action packed. One of them is more sci fi. One of them is kind of like an Archie comic with like romance. It's really good. Uh, another big one I th- uh, is uh. Is the death of Superman from 1992? Well, that's a that that one. That one's dope. Only if like you don't if you, let's say you don't even care about Superman enough, just see like a good fight and just see like the devastation of like Metropolis when he's fighting Doomsday. Like it's just uh, and also if you want to learn about you learn about Doomsday like later on like in in Superman mythos and whatnot. But just to see Superman 
just lose, not even lose, it was like a tie, but like he, he when you die, you lose. <laughs> it's just, he, he managed to save the day, but just showed like even the, the man that you thought was immortal can still be like, oh God, just. It was a big uh, deal in the yeah, culture it was huge. too. It was so huge. It was, it was in the news, like it was a big deal, Superman's going to die. And even when you bought some, one of the issues, it came with like a black armband with like a silver S on it as like a funeral memorial. Whoa, that's an awesome memorial. Yeah. Wow. I'd love to get one of those. Jesus Christ, that's, so what, cool. that's wild. That'd be such a great little thing. Be like, dude, the issue was a year ago. You're still wearing it. I'm still fresh. Superman's fucking gone. <laughs> In meetings and shit, like Greg, we it's intervention. You need to take the you need to take the band off. <laughs> it's it's been too long, and he's fictional. Another big one is uh, Superman Red Sun from two thousand three by Mark Miller and Dave. The artists are Dave Johnson, no. Andrew Robinson, yeah. Wong, Wong, Killian cool. Plunkett. Another kill Superman one where that's the alternate reality where he actually lands in the Soviet Union as yes. a, as as opposed to America. It's an Elseworld story, so it's kind of like what if this happened kind of story. Yes, another another really dope one where it's like we it just kind of shows like America got really lucky with Superman <laughs> and like yeah. take take them. That's a main takeaway. It's like thank God Superman is like corn corn. Fat Kansas, yeah. Kansas. What would Kansian? happen if he was a tool of Stalin, basically? Yeah, <laughs> fun, very, very yeah, fun it's story. An interesting story. Uh, all right, another classic Superman story. One of my personal favorites, even though I've been saying that every time. Like this one's <laughs> one of my favorites. Of course, they're your favorites, Kevin. That's the whole point of the list. You love Superman. I love Superman. All right, so this one is another biggie. Like this is always like a lot of people would say this is like the number one best Superman story, which. I, I, I want to agree with because Grant Morrison is a great comic book writer. So it's Grant Morrison and Frank Quietly's 2008 All-Star Superman. So what that one is about is that Superman is dying. So he kind of needs to do his last, uh, like the last things he's going to do before he dies. So he wants to, you know. Superman bucket list. He pretty much. It's Superman bucket list. So it's Superman does some like really big stuff. But he also there's a lot of small personal moments that are good. Like there's one part where it's like he needs to answer like the unanswerable question. Some like ultimate riddle. Oh, damn. Is that some like Sphinx shit? Yeah. No, it is. It's, it's, they play it off exactly. Like, kind like of galactic, galactic Sphinx. It is. Some, some galactic being needs him to answer the question. Awesome. It's like, it's like today's a day you'll have like a great feat. And um, one is like him trying to help Bizarro for a little while. And um, Lex Luthor dies. You dives into a lot of philosophical reasons as to why Lex Luthor hates Superman, and you kind of agree with him too. Like you get why Luthor hates Superman. Oh yeah, I do because I. That's where he has the speech about like he never understands hard work. He's like, you see this? Like, see all this muscle I have right here? Like when he's in prison, from, just fucking yeah, pumping he's like, iron. He's like, this is for me, hard work and exercising. How does Superman get his powers? The from sun. The sun. The sun. And also too, uh, I I like the also Superman movie. That, that they made a movie about they that one movie, too. They, yeah, it, yeah, it's pretty much the same thing. The only thing is they cut out like a lot of the bizarro stuff. Yeah, I don't, stuff, I, I don't the, remember a lot of Bizarro stuff from the it's movie. It's a weirder part of the comic. Yeah. I think it's just kind of Grant Morrison probably just wanted to talk about Bizarro. Because maybe Superman would feel guilty about Bizarro's existence because his existence is, yeah. his existence is Bizarro's existence is predicated on Superman's existence. So without Superman, Bizarro wouldn't have to deal with like this identity crisis. So he's like, before yeah. I die, I gotta like make sure you're cool. He spends a few issues on Bizarro World. Which, oh. which this is a really good one, but this one's a little tough if you're just jumping into Superman. Because like I said, this is like his last day. Yeah, <laughs> like that's kind of what the story is. So it's him hard to start. With... Hard to start last for first. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's a classic. They made it into an animated movie. If you want to check it out, which I think is does it 
pretty good justice. They oh. just cut out some things, but less some than, stuff gets cut. Less but, than less than an hour and a half too. But, very 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 digestible. One thing that happens in this in the comic, it's only like one page, but I really like it. It just shows that how Superman takes the time for the little moments, kind of like in the first Christopher Reeves, where he's like helping that cat out of a tree. Like it doesn't matter how small your problem is, Superman will be happy to help. And so this one, I mean, it's not really a small problem. It's just when you think Superman, you think galactic level threats, something major. And this is a young girl. She's standing on a rooftop about to kill herself. And Superman just kind of appears in front of her and he says, look, your therapist really was running late. People care about you. You have ma- value. You matter. And he just hugs her. And it's, that's kind of just it. Just one page of him just being there for this young girl. And it's a really sweet moment. Yeah, real poignant. Super important because it's just Superman still using his powers to get there in time, but he didn't really do anything super beyond that. And then it was just him talking and being, hey, listen, I'm here. Don't do this. Just think for a quick second because that's kind of all that the little girl needed. And just Superman being like another example of, hey, be the best version of yourself. You don't know what someone's going through. Like, just try your best. Yeah. Try. Actively yeah. try. <laughs> Thanks, Soup. Another good one is uh, Birthright. This is one I don't remember super well. It's been a while since I read it from 2004. It's by Mark Wade and... Lenel Francis Yu. I know it's about a younger Superman, and it's him dealing kind of with some more political-esque issues. It's He's dealing with, like, warlords in, in Africa. I know but that's only a small part of the story. Is it's been a younger, while since I read it. You say he's younger he's Superman? A, he's a much younger like, Superman. Because I know that before he went to, like, Metropolis, Superman, like, traveled the world. Is that, like, his... Is that, no, is that I, part think, of... I think it's Clark Kent's covering this story. Oh, so he's already... He's been in Metropolis. Yeah. He's a younger He is reporter. Superman. It's okay. just Superman's not... He's not a, a very, um... Uh, well, he's not a, a established Superman. He's just he's 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 not a mature Superman. It's, yeah, he's it's early in his days. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I, but I remember it being a good story. I worth check it out. Uh, another good one is a couple is on um, the Earth One series that DC has, where it's kind of just a fresh start for all the DC characters in the universe. People kind of just have your own continuity. So Superman has three volumes in this so far, and I've liked all three of them. But also they mess with the lore a little bit. But I liked what they did with it so far. I know some people don't like the Earth One stuff, but I personally love the Earth One stuff, especially like Green Lantern Earth One. That's really good. I highly recommend that. That's not Superman though, so we're not gonna talk about that. But another really good one that's a very different Superman story is it's a bird from two thousand and four by Steven Seagal. It's not Steven C. Seagal. It's Steven, <laughs> Steven Seagal, Superman. <laughs> Steven T. I think it's Seagal. I'm gonna just flip him with my mind. Okay, okay, okay. okay Steven Seagal. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's Stephen T. Siegel and Teddy uh, Christensen. Uh, Damon, you read that one pretty recently. I like this one a lot, but I, see, before I even get into the story, I would preface that I don't think it's a good um, way to start Superman media. Like if you're if you're new to it and you're like, oh, I want to understand what Superman is about. No, like don't read this. It's kind of depressing. It delves into a. The main character is a freelance writer who writes for comic books sometime, and he has been offered to write a Superman comic. And everyone's like, "Oh my god, that's amazing! He's the most like one of the most iconic char- characters in all of medium. You must be excited." And he really isn't. And the comic book really dives into why he's not excited for writing about Superman, helps him of his own personal like family trauma and how he has and has not coped with it very well. And just kinda of delves about like the creative process and how you can try to run away from what's eating you inside, but it'll come out in different ways. Like the story, like I said, it's very it's dense for what would be considered a Superman comic, but 
it does still delve into why Superman's important and what he represents to, like, you know, the medium as a whole, but it's in the lens of, like, this man going through some very serious, like, soul-searching and trying to understand, like, why he's just kind of going through, like, a small... Not, I don't even want to say midlife crisis, but he's going through an ex... You're watching comic book... Or, Raj, I said watching. It feels like that sometimes when you're, you're so into it. You're like, what What was yeah. I watching? <laughs> this happened to you when you were reading something. You're like, what was I watching like five minutes ago? I was like, oh, fuck, it was a book. Of <laughs> 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 so much different form. But here and over there, you're reading a man that is struggling with writing for Superman and you understand more about him as a character and why Superman's so important. Like, I would recommend reading it if you have immersed yourself in Superman media or if you want, like, a very compelling story about just, like, you know, family uh, drama and just, you know, compelling characters. I liked it a lot. But, like I said, not your first Superman story at all. So one that actually would be a kind of good entry point to Superman is uh, Superman's Secret Origin from 2010 by Jeff Johns and Gary Frank. It's basically just a retelling of the origin uh, but it's a little more modernized. It's pretty good. It's a shorter. It's a shorter series, but it's good. They said just retelling the origins. You, so. you said 2010. 2010. Yeah. Yeah, nice. So it's just like the same things, but as like a little quick reimagining. I think it's it? like modern times, though. Cool. Why and not? It's a kid, you just kid to becoming Superman. Why not? It's good. Yeah. Can't go wrong. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another good one is uh, uh, Kingdom Come, which is a, it's kind of an age Superman. That's Kingdom Comes from '96. With it's by uh, Mark Wade and Alex Ross. So Alex Ross is, has that very realistic art style that I like. Uh, it's more. It's mostly about like the old superheroes, like Superman and Batman, Wonder Woman. They're just they're they're they can't they're they're all older, and the next generation of heroes is kind of not doing things the way they probably should. They're a little too extreme. So it's kind of like a civil war esque thing going on. Mm, okay. On like a huge level, and a lot of it's told from the perspective of a um, oh, I forget what he is. Is he? A, I don't know if he's a reporter or not. But it's sold a lot from this perspective of this man who apparently is going to have like a large role to play in this upcoming war between heroes, and it's really good without without spoiling it. It's kind of it's a little reminiscent of like if you saw uh, Captain America: Civil War. Imagine that, but with with Superman and DC characters. DC going in, so it's like galactic level shit. Yeah, you know, it's it's it, I think the Spectres has a big role. In oh that Jesus! One. Yeah, yeah, it, it's a weird it's a weird one, but it's good. Uh, Say no more, fam. <laughs> a good, a good like small story that I really like is uh, for the man who has everything. It's Superman Annual number eleven from nineteen eighty five. That's by Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons, who they're noteworthy for writing Watchmen. This one is uh, they actually made this into a Justice League episode. So what it's about is that Superman has this parasitic creature on him that was placed on him by one of his enemies, Mongol, who's a who's a big Superman villain, and so Superman's in like this like sci fi coma. That of a of a world where Krypton was never destroyed, so his he's still on Krypton with like his actual biological parents, and he's a son, and he has like a life there, and it's him having to like struggle with the you need to come back to the real world, Superman, like you're gonna die in there, but like this is so great, I don't want to leave, so it's kind of one of those stories. Didn't the Superman animated series have an episode? No, of no, that? it was, it was uh, the Justice League. Was series. was was Justice League? I could Justice remember. I, I could remember. I can remember which one because mm-hmm. I do remember Superman just staying very still. Yeah, and then someone he's got that, that yeah, thing and like them. writhing. I remember yeah. that iconography very very vividly, but I can't remember which series. But yeah. it was just J- Justice League or Justice League Unlimited. 
I don't remember. Ooh, both great. I couldn't watch. Tell you. Yeah. Also, if you guys don't even like, we've been talking about like you know Superman and like all the comic books and some of the movies. Watch Justice League and or Justice League Unlimited. Yeah, it's a Justice and, League show from the early two thousands. Early two thousands. Really oh my god, you get immersed in so many DC characters and like a lot of the comic book storylines. They do use them in a lot of the episodes. Yeah. It just gives like a very good like uh, just a really good deep dive into a lot of like a lot of good DC there's comic lot, book media. There's a lot of great Superman media that I feel like a lot of people don't realize. Like the even if you go back way back in time, go back to the 1940s and watch the Max Flesher Superman. Those are beautiful. I love those. They're beautiful. The animation is amazing. And then when you go like jump ahead 30 years and you see like the Adventures of Superman from the 70s, or if you see like Super Friends, the animation's horrible. It's Terrible. Like, what the hell were they doing? Those Super Friends. <laughs> the Max Flesher Superman. It's it's beautiful he, he that's where the, the idea of superman flying came from because at that point he just at least um leaped tall buildings in a single bound but it was a lot on the animators so they just put in a request if he could fly so that's why superman can fly is because of that cartoon but then a more recent cartoon that's really good is the um the i think it's just the adventures of superman it's the animated show from the late 90s that's a really good show the first season's great after that, they kind of start doing more of like hokey like, shit. Well, it's mm. more just here's one with the Flash and here's one with Aquaman because it's hard to write Superman stories, it's especially very, consistently for how powerful he is. Yeah, but that show did a really good job of handling like his power levels. Like they kind of had a rule of like if you hit hit Superman hard enough, it's gonna hurt him in some extent. Like he's gonna fly off his feet because like he has to. It's yeah, it's there, boring. There has to be some only... limitation on yeah. what what you can can take damage wise. It's yeah. just power scaling. It's super important. Yeah, that's a really good show. Um, but more comic books. Uh, another good one is uh, Last Son of Krypton. That's Jeff Johns, Richard Donner. And Richard Donner, he did the first Superman movie and kind of the second Superman movie. And uh, Adam Kubert, I forget exactly what the story's about, too. It's from 2008. But I know it's Superman's fighting, like, other Kryptonians. And, like, Zod has a kid in it. And that kid is, like, he's torn from, like, Superman's good, but Zod's my dad. Because he's a kid. So, you know, I... And, that's a, that's a good, like, kind of day in the life of Superman. Like, this is just sort of stuff he deals with. But I just don't remember this one. Well, it's been a while since I read it. But I remember it being good. I mean, that's why I put it on the list. Um, and then I think the last one we wanted to talk about was uh, Superman Peace on Earth from 1998 by Paul Dini and Alex Ross. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, no, that was uh, – I just read that recently as well. Um, it was very, very good because of just how it just shows that Superman – even like the main takeaway of the story that I got was that even Superman with all of his power cannot solve every problem. Like that's the main part of the story. Like Superman's trying to tackle world hunger, so you can imagine all of the steps that organizations take and governments take and you know just anyone that can do to manage that. And Superman is like, you know what? I'm gonna try and conquer like conquer world hunger because yeah. I'm literally super I'm fucking Superman yeah, so why, how, how could I not do this well yeah he figures out a way to, to logistically kind of feed the world but realizes that it's not as simple as just bringing food to the people who need it there's a lot of other factors that can come into it when you get involved politics and just international politics more importantly yeah because it's all even because as fast as Superman is even he has limitations on how he can effectively try and feed the entire world even before you even get into like the geopolitical like shit that's going to happen when you yeah. just go in different places. That's, even, what, makes it, it, that's it, what makes it, the story yeah, so good. Yeah, because it shows that Superman is still can be powerless. Like, that was... That's that's what I liked about the most as well. It's like, even... It's, it's Superman, but some asshole and some 
backwater country can still be like, I can make life so much harder for my citizens, and yeah. you know, you you can be here all the time, and and it's true, like it's it's just so good, and that's another just one off, one issue, yeah, beautiful, one. beautiful artwork as well. So, um, yeah, I recommend that one, and just you know, just shows that Superman can. Anytime that you can, I saw the reason why I like the story too, because like we were kind of talking about why it's been harder for writers to write Superman with limitations, and that somehow managed to write a very compelling Superman story with believable limitations. Like I just I couldn't see a way out of it. I couldn't see a way out of it for Superman, if that makes sense. They're just like no matter yeah. what that story would have done, he's kind of fucked. That's what makes <laughs> Superman so great. Is I mean you can't just attack him physically because how strong he is, and if you just attack the people around him, you've seen that in a million times. Like oh, Lois Lane's a hostage again. Whoop de doo. Great. But you got to do is if you attack the ideal and then have a story that supports why Superman is important and why his message matters, you can tell a really compelling story. Yeah. Just off of that, it really it, it worked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it really it really worked. Because a part of the piece on Earth is about like, hey, like I can try to do this all I want, but unless humanity changes as well and it just cares more about the rest of humanity, then it's not going to matter what I do because other people need to need to need to do the work too. It can't just fall on Superman. Yeah, no, worth it. Worth a read. Very worth a read. Very quick read too. So, do it. <laughs> yeah, so those are our, um, our recommendations of Superman comics. If you have any recommendations for us, please let us know. Yeah, no, seriously, you can like you know comment on the post for this, or you can send them to like a black and white review at gmail.com, like whatever you want, because it's more it helps us because you know we like the character so much. Like you know Kevin, lo- Kevin, I like I like Superman. Kevin lo- loves Superman, so if he he, if we, if he can get more shit. Like it's a win win for us. I watched most of Smallville. <laughs> I watched most of it. <laughs> That's a lot. It's a lot of Superman. It's a lot of Superman. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no. Um, so this has been a black and white review. Um, thank you guys so much for listening again. Like, go and uh, links in going forward. Like, you know, all the links for our social media are Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat will be in the description links. Um, you know, like I said before, you want to reach us, go to blackandwhitereview at gmail.com. You want to send us. Like, you know, movie suggestions, like things you hate about the episode, your most colorful death threats, please, whatever you like, we're all ears. And I believe that's it. That's it. See you guys later. Deuces.